the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money invested in more. Market continues to trade higher. I would suppose it's safe to say that this week's big story is Turkey and the lira and how a potential meeting with Donald Trump went awry when Turkey last year met with Trump and said, hey, can you let go of that lady who's in prison in Israel? And Trump said, well, you got to do something for me first and let go of the clergy in Turkey. And uh, Trump said, okay. The leader of Turkey said, we'll look into it. Moved him from a jail into a house arrest scenario. And now Trump says, you didn't live up to your deal. Let's throw sanctions at you. And had they known that, <laughs> I think it's pretty fair to say Turkey would have been a little bit nicer. So a thawing of relations with Turkey could have happened, but now it's escalating. Turkish President Erdogan said Turkey will boycott U.S. electronics, including Apple's iPhone. That's a good way to get people to riot against you. The Turkish Central Bank is providing liquidity support as the basis for the rebound in the currency. Instead of letting it just fall, some people believe things should just fall and not be intervened with. Home Depot's doing all the right things today. We own homes in America, and when we do, it's time for me to put some more paint on the wall because there's boogers on the wall, and i got to cover up the boogers. I know you're saying, I'm never coming to your house. Ever, never, ever. Well, you don't even want to know what's under the dining room table. Yeah. So, retail's okay, and we're spending. Now, Home Depot's kind of a special type of retailer with home improvement. We also get advanced auto parts, which topped expectations, so we're keeping our cars a little bit longer. <laughs> positive tone for the markets with the retail numbers and with Turkey not getting worse. So that's kind of out there. And um, I'm not going to get too excited about any of this um, at this point in time, just to say it's, it's another day. It's towards the end of summer. That can become a bit of a problem with how much volume there is. I'm thinking about trying to squeeze out one more vacation. And then I'm like, oh, I, I got I to gotta work all of October. 
<laughs> and September? Is there no vacation days there? But then you get November right around the corner with that turkey day. The day where we celebrate taking land from others. So a Republican candidate for the Florida legislator, legislature apologized for saying she had a college degree that she didn't actually complete. But said she'll stay in the race and lead by example from now on. The old mythical college degree. There was a guy that 20 years ago when I was starting in the industry, real smart guy, I'm just going to say his name was Jeff Shoopy. It's not his name, but it's pretty darn close. And he was a really, really smart guy. And I figured I could use him as part of my investment policy committee. Um, He knew stocks well. And I asked him to submit a resume, and he did. And I called his school of business, and they never heard of him. So he never came on board. Um, to me, it's not so much that you went to college, didn't go to college. I look at a degree as it shows that you've put up with a bunch of jerks, professors, who want it done their way. Oh, no, we're using the little brown book guide of style, not the little black book guide of style. You need to resubmit this, and, oh, you only have 50 minutes to retype it. So, I don't know. Not that impressed. So, I am not that cool with it. If you're going to lie about that, what else are you going to lie over? Welcome to the 21st century. Anger are outraged that Disney's first openly gay character is going to be in the movie Jungle Cruise. It's an upcoming film starring Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. It's going to reportedly feature Disney's first openly gay character. And there we got it. <laughs> you know, like, yep, that's happening in the world. And of course, people are upset that first of all and foremost, there's an openly gay character in a Disney film, family films only. And then they're upset that he's actually not really gay, but he's an actor. People are upset by this. Say what? I know you're saying, I know you're saying people got a lot of time on their hands. They kind of do, don't they? We have a lot of time to get upset. Stocks are rebounding in tandem with the Turkish lira. That's a story out there. Tech-heavy Nasdaq's lagging today. A little weakness on Apple and Alphabet and Facebook. Pull the Nasdaq down. That's a story out there. Other big stories of note. Wall Street's higher on that, that healthy earnings. Tesla forms a panel to look at any Musk deal. <laughs> oh my. He really he really got people into a tizzy saying that he's going to take the company private or he would take the company private or that he's got funding to take the company private, which again, when it happened, I was like, that's just weird because it's kind of touting. And you, you don't need to tout your own stock in theory and you're not allowed to do it for another. And then you're also not allowed to tell made-up stories. And supposedly there was a rapper at his house 
Saturday night that said that uh, he was all panicked trying to find investors. So there's going to be a special committee kind of appointed to take a look at what Musk says and doesn't say as far as deals go. I'd say he's on uh, probation, right? Or he's on uh, he's in a little bit of trouble. Hey, a bridge fell down in Italy today, killing at least 20 people. And if I can't come up with a more random story than that, it just goes to show you, get some health insurance, get some life insurance. Uh, a friend of mine's getting a, what was a cancerous pimple, and then it turned into a cancerous welt. And now they're just going in and digging out whatever else they can dig out to see, make sure they got it all. And uh, 51, 52. It happens. So U.S. import prices were flat. Dollar curbing imported inflation. So not a lot of inflation right now. U.S. import prices were unchanged in July. A surge in the cost of fuels was offset by weak prices elsewhere. Suggesting that a strong dollar was keeping inflation prices in check. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. The Money Show, San Francisco. It's coming back again this year to the Hilton San Francisco Union Square. It's coming up August 23rd through the 25th. You can learn more by going to moneyshow.com. That's moneyshow.com. Here to talk a little bit about this. Kim Giffler from The Money Show, founder of The Money Show, founded in 1981. That's going back in the Wayback Machine, isn't it, Kim? Oh, it is, Rob. And I always like to say only my hairdresser and plastic surgeon know for sure how old I am and the numbers unlisted. <laughs> Fair enough. It's 36 plus years, 37 years now, yeah, right? It's going on 40, Rob. It's going What's on crazy 40. About that? What's crazy about that, Kevin, is you organize a bunch of the presenters and the events and the speeches. I, I have to imagine that things just have dramatically changed. For instance, this year, it seems like Bitcoin, obviously a big story. Marijuana, yes, big is. story investment. Yeah. So some of the Cannabis. stories have changed, mm-hmm. but people's desire to hook up with experts always remains the same. Engagement is so important, and I think, Rob, you do such a great job. I mean, listening to your program, you just you connect with your audience, and I think engagement is, is probably the operative word for both of us, is that we're really, the only way you can make a difference in someone's life is to be attached to them, or to follow them, or to listen to them, or to be with them, or to be that friend. And you've done that in the Bay Area for so many years, um, both as a financial advisor as well as an educator. And uh, I'm just very proud of the work you do. And we're all attached to you. And so we, we've been in San Francisco from the beginning of our company, and we're attached to people in San Francisco. They say to me, oh, why don't you move it down south to San Diego or, you know, L.A.? You know, and I say, because we love San Francisco. We really like our, our our friends there. We have about a 50% return, a repeat audience that comes each year. 
and they're my friends. They're our friends, and everyone loves coming in and being a part of that event. And we're continuing to evolve in in many different. Uh, um, we're bringing in, by the way, Gene Simmons, you know, the lead singer of Kiss. Uh, to be interviewed by Tom Sosnoff, another legend in the business, but that one's an option. And Gene's in the music business, and now he's the evangelist for uh, Invictus Cannabis Company. So um, lots of different things we're doing this year. It's an interesting group that you put together because it, it ranges from you know editorial reporters to investment officers, to accountants, to, like you said, Gene Simmons from KISS, who probably one of the greatest brands in the music industry of all time. Um, throw some makeup on, and people will remember you, right? Uh, but it is an interesting group that you put together. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm particularly proud to bring in also Jimmy Rogers is coming in from from Russia. Uh, he's coming in on the night of the 23rd, I'll speak on the 24th. But I think it's an extremely important topic because he lives in Singapore, he's in the Asian market, and he's really going to give us um, a living example of what he's experiencing there because he travels throughout Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Shanghai, China. So. With everything happening there, I think that'll be a, a, a terrific uh, additive. And, of course, we have Jeffrey Salt, who's coming in. And Jeffrey is uh, probably the, one of the number one market technicians out there in the business. And he says, we're in a rip-your-face-off bull, you know, rip bull market. And I, I'm anxious to hear his economic uh, overview, which will be about uh, 40 minutes, uh, again, during keynotes. So he's a new additive to our program out. And then John McCammett, who's up 1,500% on one biotech uh, stock that he he basically recommended to our people in Orlando last year in our Top Picks, Top Pros report. And he's just a, a fantastic biotech investor. And, of course, George Gilder, who is one of Peter Thiel's uh, technologists and advisors uh, is coming in to tell us what we can expect uh, out of uh, the Internet of Things and, and truly AI and and what I call um, the newest uh, robotics or, or the automation of all of our businesses to, uh, you know, what's happening out there and deeper learning. Uh, and that's, that's a big, big subject that we all have to be very cognizant about. And, of course, Bruce Johnstone, who is Peter Lynch's Fidelity, in my opinion, and has been with Fidelity many, many years, will we'll give you a good overview on some of the cracks he sees in the pillars of what holds our investment portfolio so substantially on a global basis. He does it in a PowerPoint presentation that's just uh, amazing. And uh, then we have a great event now for Women on Wealth, and it's a women-only event, but men are invited if they choose to come, but it is basically educating women on investing, not even at the beginner, but more at the intermediate level, and women talking to women and, and connecting. And we had just a fantastic, it was our, it's our one-year anniversary in San Francisco, and Janet Brown, who's a local there, uh, who does a lot on social responsible investing, is 
is co-heading that up with me, and I'm delighted to have her. And then you have the crypto genius, uh, one of the top crypto traders in the world, uh, and original original crypto Bitcoin owners, uh, Charlie Shrem, coming in with um, the head of Yahoo uh, to do a JP Mandolin from Yahoo Finance as the editor to do a literally a 30-minute overview on crypto and why it's here to stay as a potential currency not and, and blockchain, but primarily not necessarily about the coin and the ICO, but what is happening with crypto globally. You know, Japan represents one-third of our crypto trading. Uh, you have, obviously, um, Coinbase is located in San Francisco. You see the news that just came out that Facebook has actually uh, just lost, uh, just gained back someone, but he's resigning from from Coinbase's board to come back into Facebook to create some blockchain technology. And he's resigned from that board because he sees it as a conflict. And, and so if Facebook's going into that business on a blockchain basis in crypto, got to be pretty serious. And you got to take a look at it and see how it's going to affect your future. And that's what we do. Thanks very much. It's Kim Gittler. People can find out more about The Money Show by going to kdow.biz, kdow.biz. There's a link to it there. On top of that, you can go to moneyshow.com. Look up Kim Gittler, G-I-T-H-L-E-R, and take a look at the lineup. It is a really solid lineup yet again of people like George Gilder. I used to read his tech letter. I paid for his tech newsletter back when it was a newsletter before it went online. Um, good stuff. Tons of authors, tons of uh, experts, venture capitalists, investors, and much, much more. Find out more at kdow.biz or go to moneyshow.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or kdow.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Welcome back in, Rob Black and your money. 38% of Americans don't feel comfortable managing their money. It's a pretty large number. A lot of people aren't going to be prepared for retirement based on savings rates, based on things like not wanting to handle their own money. My advice is always find somebody who can explain stuff to you better. Because money is fun, money is sexy, money's got great stories tied towards it. Briefing.com does a great job of making things digestible. Um, like their stock market update doesn't get too fancy. Stocks are rebounding in tandem with the Turkish lira. It's that kind of simple. Let's bring in the one, the only Patrick O'Hare, uh, author of Page One at Briefing.com. Someone who could talk normal about the markets. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. Good to be back with you. Do you think that's a fair statement that when you and I kind of got into this industry and you're a little bit longer in it than I, but there was kind of this fear of people being too smart or, you know, they worked in these big towers in New York and they were better than us. And, uh, th- there's a little bit of that going on for me. I, I don't want to project it onto you, but there was a little bit of that. And that's one of the reasons I got into the industry. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, I suppose there is. I mean, you know, Wall Street is the uh, is still the center of financial power, and uh, you know, if that's where you, if you want to make a career in in that uh, financial sector, that is it really 
in my mind, is still the place to be, and I think that's where the sharpest minds do ultimately gravitate to, uh, notwithstanding the fact that I'm located in Chicago. <laughs> but, um, but there, you know, there's certainly, uh, you know, when you think about some of the ratings changes that come out that move stocks you know, on a daily basis, they're, they're almost always driven by, you know, one of the large bulls bracket firms that's, you know, headquartered in, in New York City. So, um, you know, it's just the nature of things. And, uh, and I think uh, when I started out, you know, over 20 years ago, uh, I was a little bit more intimidated by that reality. And now that I've got 22 years under my belt, I'm a little less intimidated, but I'm certainly uh, appreciative of, of, the, uh, of the idea. It's just going back to, I remember 20 plus years ago, looking at a Jim Rogers and going, he must be the smartest guy on the planet because he was involved with the quantum fund. And I just, I put him on a pedestal in a funny way and I'll drop it and let's move back towards um, our current stock market and the Turkish lira. There's a story that kind of came out of nowhere, in my opinion, would never bet on that at the beginning of the year that Turkish lira would become a story that drives Wall Street. Yeah, well, it, it came out of nowhere right on cue, in a way. Um, when you think about how uh, August is typically a uh, lazy, you know, the lazy, hazy days of summer where a lot of people are on vacation, and, and you oftentimes, though, see uh, issues like this one, uh, you know, just pop up out of nowhere in this particular month when trading conditions are thin, and then you get, a, a you know, some more volatile trading activity. But uh, the thing with you know the lira is is you know it's been weakening for some time, but of course uh, when you saw the the sudden collapse, if you will, on on Friday, it really got everyone's attention. Um, and because it was it was well, fr- frankly, it was just something new to talk about, right? Everyone had been stuck in in the mud talking about you know China trade issues and peak earnings and and things like that, and and so now all of a sudden you have a potential emerging market currency crisis in the mix. I'm not saying that that's what we're going to have. I'm just saying that that was the line of thinking that, you know, got uh, everyone in the media talking and certainly market pundits, uh, you know, writing commentary about uh, about the Turkish lira, which a week ago wasn't in anyone's commentary, really. <laughs> so now it's a, now it's a, a page one type of uh, perspective, not just at briefing.com, but across the, uh, the financial media. <laughs> Kind of interesting the way it did come out of nowhere, right on cue, um, and maybe put a little, took a little pressure off China and tariffs that were dominant in the news for two to three weeks. Um, do we go back to the China and the tariffs in the news, or are we moving towards the election? What do you think the next big cycle of news is going to be for Wall Street? Well, I think it. I think it will be the the tariff issue because I mean we already heard that you know the the, the next tranche sixteen billion dollars worth of. Uh, uh, tariffs on $16 billion worth of Chinese goods is going to go into effect August 23rd. Uh, but what the market will certainly be uh, paying close attention to is, is what then happens with that larger $200 billion tranche, you know, President Trump has, has discussed. And, uh, you know, in that uh, you know, comment period, I believe, expires in early September. And, you know, if you get things ratcheting up to that type of level, I think that could create some 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 bigger issues for the market here in the, in the short term. Uh, because, for one thing, you will start hearing how that might impact those midterm elections that are coming up in November. But, you know, but secondarily, uh, it's going to be one of those issues that's going to reignite concerns about a 
a bigger trade war uh, taking root and perhaps disrupting uh, what has been a pretty nice period of economic recovery here, for uh, certainly for the U.S. economy. We're moving out of earnings season, and by and large, I think analysts were pleased with lowered expectations, which is what we tend to do. We overpromise and then underdeliver. We lower those promises as we get closer so it looks better. Um, how are you feeling about coming out of earnings season and where we are as far as the economy goes? Well, it was. I mean, there's, it's indisputably a, a it's been a great earnings season. Um, you know, we're looking at the the second strongest quarter of earnings growth since the third quarter of 2010. Um, Backset uh, estimates that you're going to see earnings growth in the second quarter up. Uh, you know, right now 24.6 percent. So let's call it 25 percent. Uh, so tremendous earnings growth. Um, you know, and, and coming out of it, uh, I think you have to have an appreciation for for the fact that a lot of that earnings growth has been top line driven, right? You've got uh, S and P 500 revenues up close to 10 percent this quarter, and so it's not just about a cost cutting story; it's really about a demand driven story that's helping to to fuel that strong bottom line growth when you pair it with the impact of the tax cuts. Um, as well as with the help uh, provided by the ongoing share buyback activity that you see uh, happening pretty uh, pretty strongly. So, uh, but all in all, I think it's been a really good earnings reporting period. And and when you roll out of it, what's now on the market's mind is that you've created some very tough comparisons <laughs> for the market uh, as you enter the first half of 2019, certainly. And you're seeing that show up in the consensus earnings estimates right now, which uh, for the first quarter and the second quarter of next year are around 7% and 8%. Uh, so there's an expectation you're going to see some deceleration in the pace of earnings growth, which should coincide as well with some deceleration in the pace of economic growth. <laughs> so taking a look um at some of the other stories that are out there, I saw that student debt hit $1.5 trillion. Um, do you ever get upset or I'm going to ask you a dad question right now, even though you're not my father. Some of the things that we should get upset about, $1.5 trillion in student loan debt, um, the U.S. deficit. Um, do any of these big signs ever freak you out and like, you almost want to have a drink with your, one of your kids and say, Listen, you may want to move to Guatemala, or do you ever get freaked out about our future? Well, when you see you know the trajectory of of, of both the budget deficit and the national debt, that, that's certainly worrisome, uh, especially when you recognize that right now you have the benefit of low interest rates. Um, but if you get into a period where interest rates go up and they go up rapidly, uh, it's going to create some bigger issues. Uh, we certainly, I think, we can acknowledge that you know we have um, stolen from the future uh, to help the current. You know, environment, uh, and and ultimately there'll be a price to pay. You know, when that uh, bill comes due is really hard hard to say. But we're not on a on a on a good trajectory. We'll leave it there, um, and and hopefully there'll be some um, um, policies put in place that help uh, arrest the trajectory of the uh, of the national debt, which is is not moving in the right way. Can't get you to freak out, can I? I'm trying, and I can't get you to do it. But I'll be honest. On occasion, I'm like, I don't know how this ends. I, I can't imagine it ends well. It's like our housing market here in the Bay Area that you know, $1,100 square foot is now it's common, and I can't imagine that ends well because um, that's not a good 
that's a big solid number. Yeah, I can't, I can't say but, I, I disagree with you, Rob. <laughs> I mean, it yeah, is Chicago's no better. <laughs> so. So moving the the story back to the United States, uh, we do have the elections coming up in November, about 100 days. So that's going to start getting ratcheted up as far as news stories go. Um, there used to be a conventional wisdom when I was growing up that, you know, a divided Congress uh, was good for the United States or a Congress that was one party and a president being the other party was good because it was gridlock. Um what do you think uh, the, the coming election cycle is going to show us, and how does it play out for the market? Because for the Democrats to get back in power, they're going to have to take away a lot of perks that the Republicans have thrown out in the last two years. Yeah, well, I, I think that, you know, there's there's the idea that, you know, typically the party that's not in power oftentimes picks up, you know, big num- a large number of seats in the in those midterm elections. But... Uh, I think what we'll see coming out of this election, though, really, is that um, in the end, uh, the economy kind of trumps everything else. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, but if you have a, a you know a roaring economy, uh, people with you know gainful employment, uh, feeling better about income prospects, you know that oftentimes translates well at the election booth. And uh, so I think it would be a surprise. Um, from my vantage point, anyway, if uh, you know if the Republicans lost control of of, of uh, you know either house, um, so um, so we think that you know maybe it's unconventional wisdom to think that uh, that they maintain control in both houses, but uh, that may be as far as the stock market is concerned, the the preferred outcome given the momentum we've seen kick into the capital markets uh, since the presidential election. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing dot com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Every year, the Money Show comes to San Francisco, and this year is no different. Kim Gitler with the Money Show gives me a list of about 50 guests that are going to be speaking and presenting and sharing their knowledge. And I always get to handpick a good list. And this one's no different. Joining me now, Jack Ablin, Executive Vice President, Chief Investment Officer, BMO Private Bank. How are you, Mr. Ablin? Great. Let me, I got to update you, uh, Rob. I'm no longer at BMO Private Bank. I'm actually now a founding partner at Crescent Wealth Advisors in Chicago. Okay. So you're still in the same industry and you've probably uh, I'm still the same person. off on... Yes, it's still the same strategist and insight. Yeah. Um, investment officer, chief investment officer. Tell us a little bit about your day-to-day, and uh, then let's get into the market talk. Sure. Uh, day-to-day, um, you know, we're, we're uh, as a new firm, we have certainly a lot to do. But um, my main job is not only uh, investment risk management, um, but investment risk allocation. So how much risk do we want to take on behalf of clients? And then where do we want to allocate that risk? Uh, and we can look at public securities. We can look at private, direct investments in real estate, private equity, private credit, um, private placement secondaries. So a lot of, uh, lot of options all over the board. So with that being said, um, business is still good. I'm, I'm assuming correct. Business is good. Yep. Business yeah. is People good. have not given up on Wall Street. People are not uh, ignoring it. It's not an industry shutting down. You're not being killed by 
uh, a brand new fintech company. Um, tell us a little bit about the the world in which we are investing in right now. I guess you could say, got a little Trump action going on and a little uh, lira as well right now. Sure. So if we try to take just a broad brush, you know, uh, scope of the market, really five things I tend to look at uh, in evaluating the investment landscape. Uh, the five are uh, valuation, the economic backdrop, liquidity, psychology, and momentum. And so from a valuation perspective, at least here at home, uh, near term, the market looks actually reasonably priced because earnings are up 26 or so percent uh, year over year, and the market's up, the S&P's up only about 6%. Um, from a longer-term perspective, though, uh, Rob, if you look back, it's, it, the, the market does look relatively expensive uh, over its, over its longer-term history. But that said, you know, maybe near-term we're okay. Uh, the economic backdrop is still pretty positive. Um, the 4% growth number in the second quarter was, was powerful, but probably not sustainable. But um, I'm always encouraged to hear all these ads for, um, you know, these hiring software and, you know, things to look for hiring. And so, so as long as people are still advertising for hiring and hiring software, uh, I think that's a good sign. Uh, liquidity is actually pretty strong. I expected it to have broken down by now, uh, but we actually got a rebound in liquidity uh, in the, over the last eight weeks or so, and lenders are still tripping over themselves to try to extend credit to, uh, to borrowers. Um, investor psychology is also pretty conducive. Investors are pretty nervous. Uh, they watch these headlines. They watch a lot of the volatility, and they're concerned about um, actions, particularly overseas or trade or uh, some kind of uh, um, you know bombastic tweet, uh, and that's keeping investors off balance. And then momentum is still pretty strong. In fact, uh, uh, no time this year we've, have we dropped below the 200-day moving average of the S&P 500. We've tested it about three times, but continue to rally back. Um, so all of those signals suggest that you know, if you're a risk taker in this market, stay in. Um, we haven't seen any indication that you should be running away from this market quite yet. Sounds good. Now, one of the things you do as chief investment officer with Crescent Wealth Advisors is you have some expertise in ETFs. One of the questions I get asked on a regular basis is, are we over ETFing? Are we over indexing? We've never seen a major correction since we've really boomed with ETFs. I think Fidelity has some free ETFs now, which is kind of crazy good for the average consumer, but have we seen, or do you, is there going to be a dark side to ETFs and indexing? Well, I mean, the only dark, I mean, there are really two downsides to ETF uh, investing. One is just the, sort of what I'll call the passive approach, that if everybody decides they just want to passively invest, what that does is it, it, it essentially um, runs counter to the efficient market hypothesis that all Stocks are fairly priced. Uh, in which case, I wouldn't. It wouldn't lead necessarily to a disaster. But what it does is it offers an opportunity for active investors to get in between and look for overvalued uh, equities that would tend to be large caps because that's what generally what passive investors tend to favor. Uh, and um, and then you know seek out small caps. 
that are underpriced uh, because, again, capital tends to flow toward, or passive capital tends to flow toward the largest companies. Um, and so that is really more of a passive active shift. It wouldn't necessarily result in a crisis. It would just be more or less an underperformance of uh, passive relative to active managers. Um, the other, though, is a little bit darker, and that's related to liquidity. Not so much, I would say, on the equity side, but the shift into passive strategies on the bond side. Uh, there's there's a thought that we could see uh, what I'll call a liquidity mismatch. You know, right now, uh, investors are able to trade high yield bonds, for example, with intraday, uh, you know. Uh, interday liquidity um, and behind the scenes and having traded bonds in my career, uh, trading a, a high yield bond is really, really uh, trades by appointment. Uh, and so, if everyone decides they want to sell all at once in a high yield bond fund, um, they would be raising a lot of liquidity very quickly, and the underlying securities couldn't be liquidated fast enough to keep up with the flow out of that fund. And so what you would ultimately see is the price of that fund. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 